Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. There's a lot to navigate, but like we started with, everyone had the vision, everyone understood the importance of these two businesses to the neighborhood and the communities and just the big impact that they make. Just keeping in mind the sort of longer term vision of wanting to reestablish two legacy businesses in the neighborhood, I think is something that everyone on the team kind of made sure of and making sure that they're focused on. And I think that's what helped us uh, get over the finish line. This is Detailed. An original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. My guests today are the two founders of La Union Studio in Seattle, Washington. Director of Design and Culture, Sergio Max Legon Telemoni, and Director of Creativity, Sonia Abenohar. Sergio's work and outreach focuses on creating culturally immersive spaces and places that embody the heart and soul of the community, preserve cultural ecosystems, and celebrate identity. Sergio most recently was appointed as a member of the Governing Council of the Cultural Space Agency, a first-of-its-kind cultural real estate development company chartered by the City of Seattle. The Governing Council of the Cultural Space Agency is guided by Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, BIPOC, leaders from across the cultural, community development, and commercial real estate sectors to help develop cultural space real estate projects that build community wealth through investment opportunities in Seattle. Sergio identifies as a first-generation Samoan Cuban-American and grew up in South Seattle. His exposure to a beautiful diversity of cultures helped craft his global human perspective of the world and appreciation for learning through travel, food, and the arts. A visionary force within the realms of design and community engagement, Sonia is dedicated to dismantling barriers within the design process and cultivating profound connections with community partners both locally and globally. 
In the fields of urban planning and architectural design, Sonia is driven by an unwavering commitment to advancing equity and social justice. Whether in her role as a capital project manager at King County or as a co-founding principal of La Union Studio, she passionately works to infuse these principles into every table where her expertise is welcomed. Sonia's journey is a testament to her dedication to creating a world where design not only shapes physical spaces, but also elevates communities and empowers the next generation. You know that appeals to me. This is rare for the show, but today we will highlight two projects, the Baja Bistro and Che Boggs, adjacent restaurants located in the Beacon Hill area of Seattle. But before we get started... Don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.arcat.com slash podcast. In the heart of Beacon Hill, two culinary treasures, Che Boggs Filipino food and Baja Bistro Mexican cuisine, have risen from the challenges of displacement and closure to reclaim their place in the vibrant tapestry of the neighborhood. Sergio and Sonia took on the task of revitalizing these BIPOC-owned legacy restaurants, turning their dreams into reality. So the families of both restaurants have long established roots in the Beacon Hill neighborhood. Both families owned and operated restaurants previous to the openings or the reopenings of these two restaurants. And unfortunately, due to, as you mentioned, you know, rising rents and gentrification, and I think COVID was kind of the last straw for Baja Bistro in particular, they weren't able to remain in their their current locations. And so it was a bit of a, a loss for the community because they provided a place for folks to gather and connect within their respective communities. Baja Bistro in particular had a weekly drag show that the queer community in Seattle could, well, specifically the queer community in Beacon Hill would gather and and congregate there. And so when they closed, it was a, a huge loss for the community. And we were approached by Angela Castaneda of Beacon Business Alliance. They are a local small business advocacy group, sort of like a chamber of commerce. And they approached us and said, hey, we have two clients who would like to remain in the neighborhood. We have a motivated landlord or developer who is interested in carving out a commercial space for these two tenants. And we really think that you you all would be a perfect match to work together to bring them back to the neighborhood and reestablish a footprint in the neighborhoods they've long served. And so we were really excited about the the unique opportunity to work on two uh, projects simultaneously that both catered to their respective communities and really, you know, the landlord being sort of integral and pivotal in wanting to highlight them and, and really celebrate their longevity and their permanence in the community, I think is really just powerful because it really starts with an opportunity from decision makers at the higher level, like a developer. And so for someone like that to to partner with a local advocacy group and partner with small business owners, I think is a huge win and a huge opportunity. 
And also the city of Seattle was involved. Recently, they've launched a, a series of commercial affordability initiatives in Seattle through uh, funding mechanisms and funding packages of different amounts and different kinds. And they were willing to, to provide and, and, and allocate some resources for our two clients. Oscar Rodriguez in particular of Baja Bistro, he came to America from Baja, California in 1994, and he launched Baja Bistro with his brother, where they remained for 25 years up until the pandemic. And similarly, the Paraiso family, uh, Patrixia of Chebogs, their family came to the Philippines in search of a better life, a better opportunity, uh, and to feed people and to share their culture through food and cuisine, Filipino cuisine. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, they were shuttered in 2017, but then they had shifted to wanting to open a food truck. And so they had owned and operated a food truck from 2017 up until the opportunity came to open or reopen their brick and mortar. So we were super excited about the opportunity to, to just work with them and really tell their story as we love highlighting culture and highlighting identity and really creating a space that resonates with folks, not just the clients themselves, but you know their community that they serve, uh, that they feel like they have a place that they can call their own and really take ownership of. Sergio and Sonia took on the management of two separate clients for this dual project from aligning programming and budgeting to managing permits and executing simultaneous build-outs for two distinct businesses. There was about 3,500 square feet of commercial retail space um, on the ground floor of a residential tower. And, you know, originally the, the building owner wanted three tenants. And so we were kind of looking for the third one and trying to find ways that would make it work, you know, financially for the building owner, but also providing an ample room and enough space for our clients to operate their businesses. And so when we did the fit test and the schematic designs of the space, we actually found out that only two businesses would probably work best in the space because the last third space was like really tiny and would only be optimal for maybe like a professional services or something really small. And so we were really in the project from the very beginning, you know, advocating for our businesses and our clients to the landlord and saying, you know, it is the right decision to have two tenants in the space. And so we were just all on the same page. I think that's what made the project so successful. You know, the building owner, the city, the funders, and the clients, you know, they were all very amendable to the decisions we were making. And so that's why we did everything in parallel. All of the funding was aligned at the same time. The design and permitting, we all kind of ran it through the gamut at the same time. And we felt by combining the scopes of the construction for both projects, that it would be more attractive to a general contractor to bid on, you know, one ground floor space versus trying to say like, okay, you work on this one and then this uh, contractor works on that one. We were there to decide on the demising walls and the locations where the spaces would get split up. So it was really exciting to be a part of the process that early. 
because sometimes we get brought in when the demising walls are already in place and we're like, why didn't you, you know, shift it this way or a couple of feet that way? And why is there a wall in, in the middle of a window kind of thing? Why is the shaft in this location? Right. And so we were also designing around the grease shafts that existed within the space um, for the, the commercial hoods. You know, there's efficiencies and economies of scale that was afforded by going with one general contractor. As Sonia mentioned, you could control a lot of variables that way when you have one builder under one roof. The challenge was definitely uh, the funding aspect of the projects. Each project really had uh, an array of funding sources, and each of those funding sources had stipulations about which you know, what aspects of the project could be used by which funding source. So for example, by using federal dollars, prevailing wage rates are triggered typically. And and you usually see this on large redevelopments or developments, uh, affordable housing projects. You rarely see this on a tenant improvement project. <laughs> and so to Sonia's point about attracting a builder, typically you're going to you know, you ha- you're going to have a pool of, of much larger, more costly contractors who may be familiar or have the resources or have the capacity to do all the administration paperwork for a prevailing wage um, project. And so that was a huge challenge to find someone who was willing to be flexible enough and uh, cost effective uh, efficiently on the financial side who was willing to stick and learn through this process with us. I think we went through a a series of, I don't know how many bidding exercises or pricing exercises with the one contractor. After just the first one, you know, sometimes the GC could walk away, right? And, and, and be disinterested by this sort of level of involvement that they, that, that that's required of them. But this GC in particular, Danny Saya, shout out to Coastal Construction. They were very generous with their time and understood what was at stake that, that it's important to foster spaces that celebrates culture and and how those spaces contribute to the economic vitality and the cultural vitality of a neighborhood by working on that project i think he he understood that you know this is what really contributes to the the, the complexity and the beauty of a neighborhood and and community so it was, it was it was powerful you know to have a team of like-minded individuals and and folks that came together to really address a need in the community to retain cultural space in, in the city. Funding from multiple sources with varied restrictions added complexity and obstacles, to say the least. We learned a lot <laughs> because we were in it from the beginning. I mean, we learned what a sources and uses document was and how to you know, understand where your funding sources are, who they are, how much they are, and what you can spend them on. And so we were basically playing this like crossword puzzle of trying to, okay, this money is for construction because it can pay for the prevailing wages and it it just needs to be for construction. Another pot of money was for furniture, finishes, and equipment. And so we would track that money and budget all the um, FF&E on that end. And so it was this constant game um, and exercise of, you know, looking at our budgets every week, making sure that the clients understood what money that, that they could spend on. Because, you know, a lot of our clients, this is their first big 
build out for their business. And so we're there to translate some of the information as it relates to the permitting process, the design, the bidding and negotiations and the award process. So we're really kind of the translators for the technical side of things. And it worked because we met pretty frequently. I mean, I want to say there was one period of time we were weeding we were meeting weekly. It was the funders. It was the city. It was the contractor. It was us. And just going through those exercises of the cost estimating to make sure that everything was in line and fit within each of the buckets. Because there was other stipulations where different funders wouldn't release their money until other funders (laughs) released theirs first. Mm -hmm. And obviously, all the funders wanted to see that the budgets were balanced so that we weren't overspending or over allocating different resources to the different aspects of the projects, because there was a lot to manage. And it was, you know, 18 or so months of planning and budgeting and scoping and, you know, even before the build out started. Mm-hmm. So everybody was really invested there. There was a turnover in city staff. So that was also interesting as well, because you have someone who's an advocate for the projects, for the clients, and then we're They're like, oh, we're leaving. We're going to do something new. Here's this new person. So there was a lot to navigate. But like we started with, everyone had the vision. Everyone understood the importance of these two businesses to the neighborhood and the communities and just the big impact that they make. And I can't overstate enough how the impact of utilizing federal dollars on on a project of this scale. I mean, prevailing wages on a project of this size could increase the budget by 15, 20%, you know, and, and, you know, on, on projects small like this, where every nickel and dime is amplified, right? You know, the decision to you utilize certain finishes or fixtures or whatever it is, is amplified even more so on a project with a tighter budget and a smaller scope and scale. So that was definitely a challenge. But we did uh, partner, the, the, our clients did partner with uh, a CDFI, a community development, development funding Fund. institution. <laughs> Think of them more as a small business lender or a bank. They did uh, step in to help provide some bridge funding for construction. And then uh, additionally, the landlord, Tim Abel of Pacific Housing Northwest, he was um, the developer of, of the building, the core and shell. He actually put in his TI allowance in first, and that kind of kickstarted the, the sort of the ball rolling on the funding side. And that money paid for the demising wall and some of the you know decisions made on a building level. And then once kind of the project started construction independent of each other, that's where some of the, the, the public dollars and the private funding from our clients uh, came in t- into play. So as Sonny mentioned, it was a lot to manage, you know, something that we're not usually accustomed to, you know, being invested that intimately into our clients' budgets. But just keeping in mind the sort of longer term vision of wanting to reestablish two legacy businesses in the neighborhood, I think is something that everyone on the team kind of made sure of making sure that they're focused on. And I think that's what helped us uh, get over the finish line. The design of Che Boggs reflects the inspiration of local mom and pop Sari Sari stores found in the Philippines, creating a space that mirrors the warmth and color of Filipino culture. Whenever we sit down with our restaurant clients, we always ask them, you know, what's your style of service? What's your anticipated seat count? And 
what is your equipment? Because that's kind of how we design the kitchen around um, any specialty furniture that they want to bring in. And so for Che Boggs, we wanted to pay homage to the cuisine and the Filipino culture. I think for a lot of people, they were introduced to Filipino food because of Che Boggs and their food truck. And so it's really excited that we can, you know, create a space for them where families can gather and people aren't chasing them around the city and finding their mm-hmm. calendars at lunchtime. So One thing that Patrixia really wanted to emulate or just had this nostalgic vision around is what is called a Sari Sari store. And that is translates essentially to a variety market, kind of a small scale neighborhood market that a person runs out of their house sometimes or on their property. And so you can buy anything from toiletries to snacks to household goods, even gasoline sometimes. And so it's just this like market that, you know, you can find it all over the Philippines and just very fun and bright. I mean, you the food's on display, the different things are on display. And so it has this very unique aesthetic and it's, you know, people go there on a daily basis to get their essential needs. And so, you know, she brought us a photo and was like, I love this. I, you know, this brings me home. And so what can you do to, you know, make it real? And so for us, whenever we start designing too, we, you know, always have a contemporary take on, you know, different cultural elements. We don't want to represent it as is. And so we always try to play it up or have a different spin on it. And so in thinking about, you know, fast casual, you know, you order at a POS, a point of service station, and then you either get your food you know, called out or delivered to you. So that was kind of the the big thing when we were designing the space. And so, you know, just really taking inventory about the operational flow for Patrixia's staff and how they really wanted to operate the, the business. So it's really simple. I mean, their branding, Che Boggs's branding is really bright and poppy. And, you know, it's colorful. Their trucks, I think, are like bright yellow or red and orange and green. And so we're like, we need to really figure out how to enliven the space with those colors. And so we used a zealot tile that came in in different colors. And so we created an array, a pattern that, again, is a backdrop for other things that she could put in the space. And, you know, in all of our projects, we always ask our clients, like, is there anything you want to display that's special to you? Or is there any any areas where you want to showcase your branding? And so she really wanted a mural done by a local artist. And so that went up, I think, after our final completion photos got taken. But, you know, a local artist did it with imagery and graphics that relate to the Philippines, which is really awesome. And she also decorated the space like a Sari Sari store. So there's a lot of decor, art, you know, even the bags of chips that are on display are for sale and you can buy them. (laughs) Um, So it's really fun. And I think people get to interact with her business in that way who are familiar with what a Sari Sari store does and the role it plays in the neighborhood. For the neighboring space, La Union Studio stepped in to breathe life back into Baja Bistro. The design expanded its original 1,000 square feet, highlighting the bar at the center of the space and reclaiming its status as one of Beacon Hill's first LGBTQ plus friendly bars. It all really starts with a vision and on, on the sort of more logical and rational side, of, you know, how much equipment 
do they have or do they anticipate having? And that really kind of dictates the balance between front of house, back of house, and in Baja Bistro's case, the bar and, and the proportions of those programs to each other. And so we really started there. The owner, Oscar Rodriguez, and his family are both from Baja California. So we knew we wanted to, in a similar way, like we do with every project is, or I should say every restaurant project, is to really showcase or, or find an opportunity to, to showcase the cultural element of, of our clients, of our owner. And so there's a, a really cool tourist attraction in Baja California called the Arch of Cabo. It's a natural feature off the coast of Cabo. It's in the shape of of an arch. And so we really wanted to use that as sort of a motif throughout the space, the use of arch of an arch in Baja Bistro. And it's also something reminiscent of Mexican architecture or even Spanish colonial architecture. You know, you often see the use of soft arches in architecture and design there. And so we, we thought it was fitting, you know, that uh, it both paid homage to something natural that exists in Baja California that, that could be reminiscent of home for Oscar, and also something often found from a design aesthetic in Mexican and even, you know, Spanish colonial architecture. And so we use the arches to mark you know, entries and exits into adjacent spaces. For example, there's an arch when you go to the bathroom. There's an arch when you go from the main seating area to the bar. There's an arch from, you know, the main seating area to the kitchen. And so how could we use that in multiple different ways, functional ways, that also balances sort of aesthetic rationale. In the bar, the arch is used as the backdrop for the liquor wall. We did some really cool uh, lighting techniques to really illuminate that in a very soft and, and glowy way. So when you're in the space, it, it's, you know, it sort of falls to the background, but it is a nice crown feature within the space. So like with many of our projects, if you look at Hood Famous or Finn or even Ray's Donuts, all these commercial tenant improvement projects always have some aspect of celebrating the story of our clients or and where they come from, their background. And so we knew we wanted to do that on both Baja Bistro and Che Boggs. And then additionally, to kind of round out our, our sort of design strategy was, you know, the owner, Oscar, really loves art and wants to showcase Mexican art. And so he wanted a lot of white, white wall space for the display of art. So through lighting uh, strategy and, and finding opportunities for that, we, we made sure that we were being tasteful and proposing things that could really uh, contribute to the aesthetic of the space, but also not too much where there wasn't enough wall space for the display of art and decor and, and, and things like that. So that's really kind of where we where we started with Maha Bisha and we, we couldn't have been more happy than with how it turned out. The resilience shown by the owner of Baja Bistro, Oscar, and his family, coupled with the support of the community, is helping bring back the cherished tradition of a weekly drag show. I think they've had one event since they've opened. I think they're still trying to get that program off the ground. And there, there's a longtime drag performer that's pretty infamous in the neighborhood that they brought back who used to perform at their old restaurant um, that they've invited. And I think they're still uh, trying to grease their wheels a little bit around their programming. And because, it, you know, in their new space, they added a bar and, you know, their old space was more of a weight service is really tiny. It was about a thousand square feet. Now they're operating about 2,100 square feet. So they've really expanded 
And, you know, for a small business, you have to think about capacity building, you know, even, you know, during the design process. And so, but yes, they have relaunched the drag performance show and hopefully there's going to be more down the road. Bright colors and detailed tiling uplift the interior of Chebog's while arch motifs adorn the walls and add texture within the bar space of Baja Bistro. For both projects, or a lot of our (laughs) client projects, you know, budget is always the driving factor. And so we have to find ways that are visually impactful while also not breaking the bank when it comes to aesthetics and design, because, you know, a lot of the construction budget goes into MEP and structural and civil and all that stuff. And so then we get the leftovers to work on design and figure out how to make the, uh, the space pretty and attractive. And so we did that with Chape Oggs and, you know, as we mentioned, utilizing color. Our client was not afraid of color and using the, the tile and creating a, an array, a pattern that is striking. I think from, you know, the pictures that we have, it is the main feature. Even the bathroom is a zealot green, bright green tile. And so we just wanted to really, it's a simple product. I mean, I see it all over the place and people use it in various ways, but I think the way that we executed it was very on brand with Patricia and Che Boggs. And we were just excited how she added the other cultural elements and decor into the space that just made it 100%. It just kind of rounded everything out. And then for Baja Bistro, we really played up the arched motifs. And so the arches were kind of everywhere. Even our client had to edit them down and was like, I think I don't want this many arches. I want kind of white space for the for art and murals. And so totally fine. We love feedback. But even the textured elements in front of the bar face is kind of this arched pattern that is, you know, about an inch and a half of just kind of the half rounds that we use. We like to add texture. We love color when it's invited by the client. But as we mentioned earlier, the client was like, I want to leave kind of everything to the background and and really utilize art as a way to add color and the mural that they had brought in, the muralist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we are very specific when it comes to the color of white, even on the walls, the ceiling colors and making sure it's, you know, it hides enough of the infrastructure up there as we, you know, budget is the driver. So it's often times that we don't get to pick floor finishes um, and we just leave it raw concrete or polished and sealed. And then even the ceilings, they're often painted unless there's a feature where we want to drop a soffit because that's just added cost. And so we're very mindful about these things. Like obviously we'd love to, you know, deck it out and have like strip lighting everywhere and have a drop ceiling with a cloud system. But we just really had to be mindful and be respectful about the budget and just create moments in the spaces. Pinterest is huge inspiration for us. We get a lot of our inspo from Pinterest and Instagram. And so there's always these money shots, right, that you see when you you go online. And so every time we're designing, we try to find those different, those stills, those moments where, you know, either the client can use for their marketing as well, because we think that's really important. But also for us as designers, we like to showcase what we did and how we um, represented the client and their their business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we got to give a, a shout out to this vendor we use, uh, Surfacing Solutions. They make this really cool tambour product. It comes in all different shapes and sizes. 
You see it deployed in a lot of projects nowadays, but they're just a, a great vendor. Uh, any questions we have, you know, their, their customer service is second to none. And we've used tam- uh, wood tambour on a number of projects in different ways uh, creatively. And we use it both on Baja Bistro and Chebogs in a very tasteful way. So, yeah, I think that's one product in particular mm-hmm. that we can definitely highlight and, and shout them out. Uh, so if you're watching this, sponsor us. <laughs> no, just kidding. Located strategically in the Beacon Hill Business Corridor and adjacent to the light rail station, the site was primed for business but created challenges for construction. You know, it was kind of a gift and a curse in a way. The projects are literally next door to the Beacon Hill light rail station. So it's a heavily trafficked area. And, you know, a lot of eyes are, are going to be on the space just sort of naturally and, you know, curiosity, wondering what's going on, what's, what's coming kind of thing. So there was all this momentum buildup throughout the both the design and the construction process that, you know, we get DMs and emails from people in the community we don't even know and saying, hey, do you know when is this opening? Like, why is there a delay kind of thing? And, you know, you have to be intentional about your response and say, hey, you know, we're working as hard as we can and trying to get these legacy businesses open and such. But I think being in a busy area, there's also security concerns. More eyes means more attention, means more risks involved and having to play or just be aware of that. And and both, you know, our contractor partners and, and just us and our clients. And so just thinking about security and talking through that with the contractor and making sure that access was controlled and who was who had keys, you know, who had the code to the lockbox kind of thing, I think is, or where is the lockbox kind <laughs> of thing, is, is always something that we're, we're being mindful of. And, you know, Seattle is becoming more dense. And so we're going to face these issues on more and more projects moving forward, especially as smaller, lower density properties get redeveloped into larger, more, more dense projects. So, but I think uh, there was more pluses that it's near a light rail station. I think to this day, Baja Bisho doesn't even have their sign yet. They're still working on it. And, but people know about it because the neighborhood is small and, you know, it's a rapidly changing neighborhood. So there's always going to be curiosity about the new latest and greatest restaurant on the block kind of thing. So I think that, that helped build the buzz for our clients, um, it sort of almost self-promoted themselves with all this sort of construction paper on the windows and not seeing any signage or anything. So. Yeah. And the project, so it's two residential towers next to each other. And the front side where you enter is on Beacon Avenue, which is a very you know heavily trafficked area, commercial district. But on the back side, there's exits to the alley that sits between the two, two structures. And so there was always issues with traffic mm-hmm. or just the residents or even the commercial tenants parking in the alley. And, you know, they needed deliveries to get into the space. And so I think they got to know the property owner, the property managers really well, because they were always on the phone with them, trying to clear the alley, trying to get, you know, all the supplies and materials into the space. Um, and that's where the grief shaft also went up on that side of the building. And so you know, I think it just comes with the territory. As you said, you know, Seattle's really busy. We're in, you know, a, an area that's getting rapidly developed. And so it just, 
it is what it is <laughs> and our contractors deal with it. You know, we've had to move the lockbox around a couple of times because it was getting tampered with, but luckily no, no break-ins. No break-ins, no graffiti, thankfully, which has been kind of an issue here in Seattle. I don't know about Portland, but <laughs> yeah. Self-expression. Self-expression, not graffiti. <laughs> Transitioning from their food truck days, Che Boggs was establishing their first brick and mortar space. The new space allowed them to expand their offerings, but simultaneously presented a challenge for La Union Studio. For Patrixia and the Che Boggs project, coming from a food truck type of service, now moving to brick and mortar, they, they knew they wanted to expand their offerings of, of the type of food. You know, on a food truck, it's quite limited what you can do given the amount of space. And so we were trying to balance with all the added equipment that she wanted, which therefore would dictate the sort of size of the type one grease hood that you would need. And if you know anything about uh, restaurant spaces, the larger the hood, the more CFMs you need to, to, you need to exhaust the space. And just to kind of get a little technical, the, the core and shell of the building, I think, assumed a certain size hood for a restaurant that would be moving into that space. And so given all of Patrixia's uh, equipment needs, it dictated a, a, a size hood that was too large for what the existing system could accommodate. And so what we actually had to do was swap out the entire grease shaft that ran from the back of the space horizontally to the exterior of the building and then up the side of the building up to the roof. And it was enclosed in a one hour rated shaft. And so that was no easy task to remove all the siding, open up the shaft, tear out the existing sheet metal, the grease shaft, and put in a new one that was larger that could accommodate the size hood that she needed. And so that was an unanticipated sort of, uh, you know, you can never rely uh, solely on as-builts and, and record drawings. You have to verify yourself. So that was something that, you know, we as we had assumed that the, the space would be delivered to uh, according to plan. However, uh, it was not. And, you know, I have some some hypotheses on why that was, maybe budget, maybe schedule. They were just trying to get, you know, get it in and, and be done with the project, be done with the building. But nonetheless, we, we had to cross that bridge when it came. And there was no compromising from the client side on reducing the size hood because that would mean reducing her overall menu it reduced the, the quality of service that she was aiming for. So that was a huge priority for Patrixia was to really, you know, size the kitchen uh, properly. And so that was an un unanticipated challenge. It, you know, pushed the schedule out a little bit just because there was discussions around the responsibility, who's going to pay for, you know, that is this a landlord issue? Is this a client issue? Nonetheless, working with Tim Abel, uh, you know, the developer, the landlord was really gracious in taking on some of that, that responsibility for upgrading the grease shaft. So that was a huge, that was a huge challenge for us. I bet you ask that question in every restaurant you do going forward. Let's right. look at the grease shaft. Right. Oh, I, where's the grease shaft? Where is it? How big is it? Is there a grease trap interceptor? Where is it? <laughs> The plumbing of the adjacent restaurants also unearthed some unique challenges. For any restaurant, really, plumbing always always becomes an issue when you're tearing up the floor, 
finding a path to and from certain areas with plumbing. For example, in Baja Bistro, the kitchen and the bar was separated by a massive concrete uh, stairwell for the building itself. (laughs) And so there was no way to connect plumbing between the two spaces without tearing up the concrete slab significantly. (laughs) And so, you know, that... While that, you know, that's more sort of a, a more functional aspect of, you know, it is what it is kind of thing, but it did come into play with respect to the sort of finish floor that we, that we were, that we wanted really, because they had used a different sort of concrete mixture of the floor, the, 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 the existing floor and the new floor that was poured didn't quite match. So we had to, to kind of think creatively around, around that, you know, that nuance we feel like we came up with a good solution and some of the demising walls between the spaces of within Baja Bistro, we were able to kind of cover up some of those those differences in floor by either pushing and pulling on a wall or, or something like that. So very unique challenges with respect to construction. Juggling two clients, two legacy establishments, and construction with a shared general contractor left Sergio and Sonia with plenty of lessons learned. While we did our best to kind of align the timelines, the construction schedules of both projects, inevitably, you know, one space is larger than the other. And so at some point during construction, the the timelines kind of diverged. Chaboggs in particular being the smaller project finished much quicker, maybe about four to six weeks ahead of Baja Bistro. So there was a little bit of angst by, you know, Oscar and, and the Baja Bistro team on, hey, why is Jay Wags like much quicker? Why are they all done? We're just sitting here. And I think that just comes with the nature of, as you say, construction. And, and I think we're also still seeing some lingering effects from COVID and COVID related lead time delays and material and, and labor. And so I think that just only amplifies the issues we already face on, on a typical construction project. And so we as designers and architects have to be ready for those, or at least account for that in in our timelines and in schedules. So, you know, those are those are discussions that we were having with the with the GC, and you know, how can we be as efficient as possible in in the construction process? Yeah. So, I think that. Mm-hmm. And related to that, you know, there's the construction timeline, and then there's also the client's timeline of wanting to open. And so there was always this back and forth going, like, when can we open? When can we have our opening celebration, our grand and soft openings? And that was always a push and pull between the general contractors and our clients. And then also funding, you know, money has to get paid back (laughs) at a certain time and there's timeframes around that. So we were just really mindful that, you know, we didn't want our clients paying on a space that wasn't even open yet and they weren't able to make any money. So we were, you know, advocates for them in getting, you know, as much rent abatement as possible during the construction period. And I think we, you know, we started the conversation with it really helped (laughs) and the project was successful because everyone had the same vision. And so there was a lot of flexibility and understanding and grace that the landlords gave the clients, the general contractors gave the clients, Mm -hmm. because, you know, everyone was good for it at the end of the day. But yeah, there was just a lot of hands (laughs) in the pot. (laughs) 
As both restaurants opened their doors to an eager community, Le Union Studio witnessed the realization of a dream, the resurrection of two small businesses deeply embedded in the hearts of Beacon Hill. Che Boggs and Baja Bistro are not just places to dine. They are symbols of cultural preservation, community strength, and the power of collaboration. I can guarantee you that the next time I visit Seattle, I am arriving hungry so I can check out both restaurants. And if I'm really lucky, I'll even get to catch that traditional weekly drag show. Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. I was curious what Sergio and Sonia thought about how we in architecture can better serve diverse communities and preserve our cultural ecosystems. We started this practice with the intent to, to support small businesses and be advocates for small business ecosystem because a lot of our friends and families are part of that ecosystem. And we realized that it was their first time working with a, a professional designer or professional services. And so we were just in awe and honored to play a role in the growth of their businesses. But what we've learned, I think, through the past five years of running La Union Studio is that while, you know, we're the experts, I guess you could say, in design, our big thing is to listen, to listen to our clients, to listen to their story about why they started and, you know, what gets them up in the morning and why they love their product. And just the story behind them is really key to how we begin designing our spaces. And so it's really about listening first in every setting, whether it's a, a restaurant project, a you know, a neighborhood park at different design at different levels. The first thing we do is just listen because the communities, they have the answers as much as we like to think we're designers and we're experts and we know what to do. Lived experiences are just as valuable to help inform design solutions. So that's my contribution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, mine is related, but playing an integral role between us and youth you know, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't know about architecture as an opportunity or as a career path to a college. I mean, that's crazy, you know, like that, you know, you hear all the time in third grade, what do you want to be when I grow up? I want to be this, the, you know, firefighter. I want to be a doctor. No one ever says architect unless their dad or their mom is an architect, right? And so, you know, it's finding genuine partnerships and opportunities to interface with young people and show them that, hey, you too could be an architect. You too can have an impact, a direct impact on how your community grows, on how your neighborhood develops, on what uh, cultures are reflected and, and how we can manifest those stories in physical building spaces. You know, and I think that's scalable. I think that can happen on a small, you know, tenant improvement project like Baja Bistro and Che Bugs. And I think it, all, it can also happen on large redevelopments. And I think it's the community engagement aspect and genuine curiosity for how we can reflect the values of our communities that really contribute to ensuring that that's a possibility. So that's kind of our, our calling and why we started La Union Studio. And we hope to be continue to be a resource for those who have never worked with an architect before. <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation with Sonia and Sergio. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, 
helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. Yeah, I mean, I thought about this hard when I was prepping for the the call today, and it relates to what I mentioned earlier. And I wrote, I will make an impact on the world by designing and creating beautiful spaces where people can feel understood and seen. That's amazing. <laughs> and I think we're all impressed. Yeah, I think I touched on this also uh, kind of at the beginning of the call, but mine I wrote, I, I will make an impact on the world today or impact on the world by inspiring the next generation to make an impact in their own communities through architecture and design. Uh, and it really just speaks to empowering young people and the next generation that they can craft and mold the communities that they grew up in and frequent. And so that's just kind of my world domination statement. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.